When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe someone we shouldn't. He turned out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Take it away, boys. Take it away, we shall. Oh, hello. Hi, Ryan. Hello, Tim. How are you? Doing all right. Happy to be here. <laughs> no, <laughs> no verbal response. And thank you, uh, everyone else, for being here, too. To Dismembering Whore, as she just said, but what she did not say specifically is we are here in episode 206 of Dismembering Whore, where we will be giving our patent pe- patent pending uh, dismemberment to... Patent pending. Uh, yeah, with the patent region. Yes, it's pending. It's pending mm-hmm. and waiting a while. Yes, we'll be uh, dismembering the vanishing from 1988. What a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is actually fun to get... Uh, I don't know. It's kind of like like when I think of like Rain Man or something, just when you get mm, these uh, mm-hmm. solid 80s movies. I don't know. It's an interesting decade when it feels like you have cinema emerge from them. There's something unique yeah. about it. Like the 80s, 90s cinema. I, I That's interesting that you say that because I remember as I was watching it, not really knowing how to describe what was feeling good about it. Mm-hmm. Because it's not overtly stylistic in any way. But, like, there's something about the era. I don't know. Maybe it's the film stock. Something about maybe it's... It's on film, yeah, obviously. The film stock. Well, it's it's something about, like, maybe the 70s for our generations in our minds just have this... Or just at large have this association with, like peak cinema sure or just being able to get into the movie and the certain kind of realism and all that that might be it because it it really is a feel i i just i was like this is so pleasant to me great i don't know why well not usually i do we're just obviously so excited to talk about it here (laughs) so uh but we got some some business and brass tacks first oh according to my pages wow all right uh Do we owe anybody any money? Not right now. Thank God. But we do owe ourselves and our listeners and our viewers a trailer to set the stage here. All right. We could do that. All right. So let's do that. Cool. So, as I said, from 1988, directed by George, how have you been saying his name? Sleezer. Sleezer. With a screenplay by George (laughs) Sleezer. That sounds like loser. Sleezer and Tim Crab, based on Crabba. The Golden Egg by Tim Crabba. Here we go. The Vanishing. Je m'appelle Raymond Lemorne. Je suis sociopathe et claustrophobe. Je n'ai jamais trompé ma femme. Ah. Gabi, le carbouchon, s'il te plaît, dans le tiroir. Je m'empresse de vous dire que pour moi le pire, ce n'est pas tuer. 
mine de rien, c'est devenu une passion. Tu as quelque chose dans la tête Vous êtes un... What was that, Tim? What was that is a good question. That was a trailer. <laughs> really? I don't know. <laughs> Very interesting. That's what it said. <laughs> Maybe uh, just the Dutch, much like their films, the, uh, the trailers have a certain idiosyncrasy yeah, to them. The classic 1988 non-trailer trailer. It's yeah. one of my favorites. Have you ever seen the the original, The well, the original, the Batman 88 89 oh. Batman 89 trailer. Oh, oh yeah, it's well, hilarious. It's like so untrailery. Well, are you sure you're not just talking about the teaser trailer? Maybe that's what it. No, not the one where it's just flying through the yeah. thing. It's like it's an actual trailer, and it's it's pretty janky. It makes you wonder what the hell were they doing? Late 80s, something about it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's keep on trucking here with our rating per our rating system. Would we tell ourselves to? Avoid, stream, rent, or buy The Vanishing. I am a rent, but a very hearty rent. Great. It's not quite exciting, I think, enough for me to be a buy. I think that's kind of where it... And I don't mean like action exciting necessarily. <laughs> I just mean like, I got you know, like it didn't get me wound up in the way that I want this type of sort of murder mystery, whatever, mystery, mystery, I guess, uh, to get me going. But it's really enjoyable on so many levels. So I like I, I would absolutely pay money, some money to <laughs> to see it. Great. And I've seen it before. I mean, I'd seen it when I was probably... Oh, I don't know. I think I was probably in college. Got it. Well, but I had, I remember nothing. Yeah. So yeah, I was yeah. like, this is fresh. I was like, okay, cool. Great. Uh, maybe I just have to retroactively justify my purchase here. You'll see. <laughs> yeah. Got it right here. Uh, but I remember I saw it 10 years ago, bought the, got, bought the disc then. So, but it, so it remains a buy it for me. I do not have buyer's regret. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I think it's great. I, I would, I, I certainly would not be upset to own it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I would, I would be like, yeah, that's a cool movie to have. Yeah. No, but yeah, I, um, I think it gets better on rewatches just because the themes are so rich. And even now, yeah. like I'm going to have some questions like, wait, what was that? Exactly, that happens just there. I so. have a couple of those for sure. There's one in particular that I'm com a little confounded by. Great. So maybe you, because well, I don't think so. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, but fair enough. That <laughs> does not hurt it because even then, in those scenes, I'm only it's only affecting me still somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, I watched it with a couple friends, and we just had you know the best conversations afterwards. So I'm excited to continue cool. it with you today all right i'm into it uh can you uh, say what the do you think you can pronounce what the movie in what would it's in dutch right yeah sporlus which just sounded like a cookie to me i don't know why Yeah, me too sporlus which literally translates to traceless or without a trace i see that makes sense yeah well, there was a trace, but we'll get to it. <laughs> Should we get to it now with our summary? Sure. All right. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Actually, I think that that trailer was kind of interesting because it really does what the movie ultimately does, which is focus more on the psychopath, sociopath. Um, but 
we're really presented with the relationship between this couple, this married couple, um, Saskia and Rex. Mm-hmm. And they're on vacation uh, in France. The tour is happening. That's exciting. And it's 1984. Mm. I don't know if you... I, I was trying to figure out while we were watching it what year it was supposed to be, and then eventually it, it said at some point. Um, so it's 1984. They go on vacation. Uh, Rex, like any good, you know, dumb man, arrogant dumb man, <laughs> decides that they don't need to get gas when they pass a gas station, and Saskia suggests that they do. Uh, and then they run out of gas in a tunnel, which is pretty sketch, actually, if you think about it. Especially then, like, not really. I think I've been through, maybe not that tunnel, <laughs> but when I was a kid, we went we went from Denmark. Oh, I guess we weren't in France. So, but this style of tunnel certainly we went you could from feel it. Yeah, Denmark through Germany and Austria and Switzerland. Which you know, it's all so, relatively similar. Um, so I was like, this is a cool vibe, and it's scary. So one, there's a there's a moment that uh, kind of gets you in the mindset of why this is scary. Before they get into the tunnel, they they are on a mountain, sort of narrow mountain road, and they have to make a, a left turn around the bend of the mountain, and he he has to honk a handful of times, a little beep, 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 beeps to say, like, I'm coming around the bend, which I think is a really, like, smart indication of, like, the time and just sort of the antiquation of being on the road in these areas, that it's like, there's no signals, there's no lights, there's no signage, really. It's sort of, you know, you're out there on your own. So they run out of gas, they get into a fight, uh, because, who knows, he's being kind of a jerk, yeah. He's like, don't blame this on me. The road's getting to them. Yeah, it's. I know it's my fault. Don't give me a hard time. It's like, all right, man, just chill out. And he doesn't let her, um, she wants to find a flashlight, and he's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go get gas. You could come with me or not. Like, he's a real jerk about it. So he leaves her. And some amount of time later, he comes back, and she's gone. She's not in the car. This is called foreshadowing, Ryan, if you were wondering. He kind of dismisses it, which is a little also like, man, he sucks. Then he gets in the car, he drives to the end of the tunnel, and she's out there. She's she's moved on from the danger of sitting in the tunnel, which is smart of her. And then they make up, right? Like... Whatever, they go to a rest stop, they kind of make up, and everything's great. She goes in, she buys a Frisbee. They they kind of flirt and whatever, and then they uh, bury some coins by a tree as sort of a like, I don't know, remember this time in our lives. This becomes important later, sort of. And, uh, and then she says, you want, you know, you want something to drink? You want something cold to drink? She goes in, she gets a drink and that's it. She vanishes. 
This is all as far as Rex is concerned, right? She vanishes. Three years go by. He's still looking for her. And he's gotten, like, breadcrumbs to find her somehow, which is the thing I want to ask you about. Eventually, he meets the killer because he's put out this sort of campaign, this endless campaign to find her. And the killer, the kidnapper. And the kidnapper and him meet up. Uh, the kidnapper basically says, you have nothing on me, so you have to basically go along if you ever want to know what happened. You go along with me or screw off. So Rex goes along with him. Um, the, kill, the kidnapper explains himself and, and like why and what he did to a, to a point. And then uh, Rex has to sort of decide, like, do I um, carry on with him, drink some sleeping pill coffee, uh, and leave it up to this kidnapper to uh, whatever, to not kill me or kill me or whatever. But the only way he's going to find out what, what happened to Saskia, according to the kidnapper, is if he drinks that coffee and he'll he'll t- he'll show him what happened the the kidnapper will show rex what happened at that point in that moment rex has a bit of a like no way i'm not doing this screw you whatever and they're at the car the the rest stop where she was kidnapped and he remembers these coins that that they had buried together and when the kill or the kidnapper was telling the story he explained that he had an interaction with saskia uh in the rest stop before he kidnapped her where she asked him for some change and his fingerprints would be on those coins which was a big point of rex's like if we just found the like the coins from the vending machine that the guy was using, we could check the the fingerprint prints, which seems absurd. But in this moment, it actually comes back around, pays off. He thinks, okay, I've got him because I've got his, you know, I've got his name, I've got his fingerprints, I have proof that he did this thing. So he drinks the coffee and falls asleep, and the reveal of what. The kidnapper had done to Saskia is that Rex wakes up in a coffin, buried alive. Great. The end. Was that long enough? I'm trying to figure out what it. <laughs> yes. Could could you do it shorter? I'm trying to figure sort out of. what it says about you and or the movie that your summary for the first 15 minutes took as long as the summary for the other 75 minutes of the film. <laughs> I don't know. Setup, baby. <laughs> Yes, it's all important. The mood. Uh, I just want to mention, uh, I think it's a pretty important through line because this film is operating on separate levels of reality that we have a a recurring nightmare or a nightmare that's brought up as recurringly Mm. through Mm -hmm. the film where Saskia has experienced floating alone in the universe inside of a well, titular as far as the original story, Golden Egg. Right. And then she mentions at a certain point that he has one too, and they their eggs meet up and they're together forever or something like but that. But they can't touch each other. They're floating yeah. in space separately but nearby. Yeah. Yeah. So just, you know, I don't know. That's got to inject that. It's, it's more than the literal happenings. Right, right. Also, a lot of the movie is actually 
like the trailer, like living with the sociopath kidnapper and seeing how he and why he is the way he is and him like practicing kidnapping people and getting himself into sort of tight spots that he has to learn how to navigate if he's going to pull something like this off. All done via non-chronological storytelling. Yes, Don't which is we really love fun. It, yeah. Right? Yeah. Very audition feeling in a way, this movie in that way. Oh, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. It does have kind of that vibe, doesn't something it? Something about the way the narrative plays out puts me in a similar kind of right. whooshy dream state. I um, like this different kind of... I don't know. It's different uh, structurally than a lot of like what we're used to in the States. Yeah. I think that's fun. Uh, and to help us all out, which is what that summary was for, we've got Raymond Lamorne as the bad dude, <laughs> the sociopath. That's the right. Kidnapper. That's the character's name, right? Yes. Yeah. And then Rex Hoffman as the obsessed husband-boyfriend. And then rest in peace, Saskia Wegter, who's referred to as Saskia throughout, as the woman who was tragically taken. Yeah. All right. Should we get into what worked? Yeah, I think so. Me too. All right, here we go. <laughs> what worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. <laughs> what worked? I feel like we're going to get into so much about just themes and interesting filmmaking things and ideas that I almost just kind of want to get out of the way, the casting and performances. Sure. I thought those were incredible. I mean... Yeah, everybody's so, like, to me, so real and, like, almost documentary feeling. Like, these are just people existing. Which I guess is the same as saying they're perfectly cast. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the in order of kind of how I mentioned them, just now Raymond, our sociopath, he has this really interesting quality where it's like you buy that he's able to present as normal and that, like, we would trust him because he's just so, like, certain and forthright in just sort of yeah. how to do that. It's the beard. <laughs> right. It's the chin beard. It just like carries an authoritative, you know, like <laughs> I know it's up. If I'm willing to to wear just a thick <laughs> chin beard, no straps, just chin, no mustache, just chin. Yeah. That's a bold statement and it says a lot about you as a person. And it, it's fun it's interesting cuz he's kind of presented as very as super intelligent or careful. Yeah. I, I don't know. He didn't strike me as necessarily like an intellectual, but more so as just obsessed and determined on his own side, just like that kind of yeah. sociopathic thoroughness. Right. It's like a determination. Yeah. Right. Like he doesn't he doesn't have to be smart so much as just he's like crunch the numbers, man. Just figure it out slowly over time. Yeah, kind of like this in the scene um where he's where he successfully gets her to go to his car, it's not, it's his actual plan that makes it effective. It's his ability to to sort of right. stay forthright and improvise within then. It's it's like he has that sort of determination within the moment yeah. and just almost feels like he lucks out because he's 
he's programmed he programmed it in manifestation terms you know he, exactly he he believes that it's all like faded and just like divinely happening um not to get ahead of ourselves but that sequence is so good and like having him be the narrator so to speak of this two rex in the car is like such a i don't know i for some reason i really love the like <laughs> this weird trope of the adversaries in a car mm. i don't know why i mean i wrote a short film that literally is that <laughs> so there's something about that feeling of being trapped in this little you know, box mm -hmm. with the person and like, you know, not knowing how you're going to sort it out. Yeah. And, the, and that the, uh, the idea too, that, and this plays into, I think the broader theme and the, the, the climax of the movie, if you choose to, you could just get out of the box up until a point, right? Like there's a sort of a point of no return. But in in reality, if we're, you know, like in a car with somebody we don't want to be in the car with, you can just open the door at a certain point. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's, if the car's moving at your own risk, but- But Ladybird. But this thing, yeah, this, this escape is possible in that form. And then we- we arrive at the the climax where it's a different box, right? It's a coffin. So I think that there's some fun, at least for me, just like thinking about these like correlations within the film of like being trapped in a box throughout is really fun. Yes. Metaphorically, figuratively, literally, whatever. Uh I mean, I <laughs> there's the thread I'm excited to go down, yeah. but I want to like get get to mention these other actors too, what they're each doing. I mean, maybe you kind of just already said all that needs to be said as far as a certain realism, whatever, yeah. whatever. Like they're realistically attractive. Sure, they're, they look um, like people. Yeah, and just <laughs> even just I mean, just the way she moves and operates, mm -hmm. like when she has that little stumble. Yeah, you just totally. kind of fall in love with both of them in that way. And, you know, yeah. in just that first 15 minutes. And just maybe this is uh, plays into a little about, you know, you're looking at the first 15 minutes as the breadth of half of the movie almost. But she, almost like Mandy or something, just has this presence throughout. Like right. her, her image on the missing sign just has such a presence, like, throughout. Yeah, and I... Yeah, that's really true. I remember thinking when I saw the uh, the U.S. remake of this. Oh God! How disappointed I was that we kind of we like she's gone, and like that that whole idea of are we gonna see her again? You know, just as the movie carries on, you it's you just more and more realize no. <laughs> Like, no, three years went by. Chances are she's just dead. So it's it's not even about whether or not she's alive. It's about what happened. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that that kind of just making that decision as the framework of your story is really ballsy. To be like, we're going we're gonna to do a kidnapping story, but like the kidnapping is really not the point you yeah, know like there's why, something so fun about that it's, it's not like they're gonna save her right 
that's why I don't know. It, it felt weird to me. You kind of, you use the term. I mean, maybe, sorry to, if I'm just mincing your words here, but like murder mystery to describe it. I know it's, it's not. not really. <laughs> it's a mystery. It's it's. It's, it's a, a it's a central question of what exactly he did. Yeah. But that's different from like, I don't know, trying to prove trying usually it's trying to find the killer or if they're still alive or I don't know. Right. Um, it's yeah, it's still a it's a it's a what happened. Yeah. Is that a genre? I mean, it's a mystery. What happened is the question. So just mystery just has a different connotation from there is a central obsession. Like maybe a movie like Zodiac yeah. kind of highlights that sort of intersection sure. as well. You know, when a movie's about the obs- yeah. a murder mystery I is guess- about the exception, but it's not like it's like Death on the Nile or something. No, yeah. no, definitely not. I agree. I guess it's this sort of yeah, it's this intersection of like true crime, crime. Like a crime was committed. And the answer needs to be revealed or well, sought out. Right. Uh, well, one way, uh, I was going to say it comes to mind, that worked so well for me about how it shifts to, you know, not just being a murder mystery is the three years later, you know, setting. It's a shocking moment, like, to, to be like, oh, yeah, we're yeah, just uh, jumping in time here. Well, it, I just realized it's like the perfect amount of time where you'd you can imagine like his other you know his new girlfriend or whomever else might be in his life mm-hmm. it's where, oh. where from their point of view it's kind of like maybe you should make a choice to move on or right. not kind of thing i or but from his point of view right. it's not that long ago at all like what like three years ago like it feels like that's when we started this podcast it was yesterday that's right. right there's a perfect encapsulation of that in the writing when he's breaking up with or getting broken up with by the new girlfriend, she says something to the fact, paraphrase, you know, don't they say that it'll take you half the time you were together to get over a relationship, right? And meaning for her, <laughs> it won't take that long because right. they've only been together for some number of months, right? right. A, f- a few months, she'll be over it. But for him... He can't get over it, right? For a number of reasons. There is no closure. Like, you don't just get over, like, so, it's not a breakup. Yeah. Right? Like, right. and she's kind of like sticking it in him in that moment. But like, even if he could conceivably get over it, um, I, I air quoted could instead of get over right then. <laughs> um, whatever. So even if he could, uh, we I don't know that we ever have been told how long they had been together as a couple. I don't know. Um, but they're married, so let's assume it's been a number of years prior to this instance. You know, three years when you're married to somebody and you've lost them is like it's th- this idea that you can reduce <laughs> that experience to this like weird childish you know, colloquialism of like, oh, half, half the time to get over, of, that you've been together together to get over well, each other. But yeah. I love this dichotomy between those two attitudes and like the fact that he's just sitting there being like, fuck you. Right, because we, <laughs> we can so sympathize with almost both those points of view totally. from like the people who care about him just wanting to see him embrace a new happy life. Of course, maybe, you know, you can't get over what happened or whatever. But from his point of view, like, I get, and 
you know, his obsession and, and all that, where it feels like from that day onward, which just that experience in itself is just a kind of, you know, unique trauma where it's all of a sudden it's like you're the only sane one in a crazy world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it feels like the rest of the world is gaslighting you. Right. Just for on an emotional level almost of like yeah. no one else in the world's going to feel what he went through, but you don't have anyone who – tries to get on his level of sympathy. You know, I mean, it's so much about how uh, it's a crowded space where the disappearance happens. So I can get his obsession at the same time for that so much more. That, the the craziness, I mean, I I think this is part of why the true, not that true crime obsession or whatever uh, is new. Like, it's always existed, but Mm -hmm. the wave of, of it and how... I guess we collectively have kind of gotten on board with that wave. That it's just popular. <laughs> yeah, it's popular and 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 the the uh access to it is so broad and people jumped on that and we're like, well, if people want it, let's make more of it. Um but that's not new. Where was I going with this? Uh <laughs> the true crime aspect of it, the the unanswerable I guess it's answerable, but the the seemingly unanswerable mystery of what happened is so enticing and so compelling to to dangle out in front of somebody, right? Yeah. And like I agree, like I agree with him that like the not knowing is a, a goddamn nightmare. Well, I think what. Maybe why true crime comes to mind uh, is what this movie does so well and what true crime does. It presents like all the most factual, knowable evidence about something just on the surface. Right. And that's what this movie is doing in a really interesting way, too. I mean, like an example being the ending when he gets him to drink the coffee with the sleeping pill mixed in. It's not like he's trying to surreptitiously sneak him a sleeping pill. No. It's, this has a sleeping pill. It just puts everything out in front. And that's that happens, I guess, to an extent. I forget exactly what it was, but in that car ride together you're describing, it's kind of like like the way he's so forward about his sociopathy and what that means and their unique conflict with each other. Yeah. It, it just puts it all right there. It's in a way where it feels like, uh, kind of like all true crime documentaries too, where it feels like we're reaching a truth yet somehow also just, just that there's something else we can never truly like understand and see. Right. It, it, it all to me boils down to this dynamic of who is in control, who has power and who's powerless. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we're the victims of things, just humans are the victims of bad things, we want to reclaim this power. But sociopaths and psychopaths, they like they hold all of the chips, right? Like they're completely in control because they don't care. Right? They they care sort of insofar as they care like kind of what happens to themselves as a survival thing. But beyond that, they are aroused by the power that they hold mm. all the time. That's sort of why 
they act on these impulses is to yeah. keep feeling that control and power. They aren't even emotionally deterred by when things go wrong. It's just sort of like, no. oh, that happened. It's not like, shit, man, that didn't work out. It's just No, like- exactly. And this whole, the way the movie is presenting this is so brilliant. And it's just perfect to... Uh, to sort of shine a light on that particular dynamic, right? Like this dude, the sociopath, is completely in control of everything. He's always holding all the chips. Even with the coffee, he's there. The, or Rex knows that he might die, mm-hmm. but it's an unanswered thing. The guy's not saying, if you drink this, I'm going to kill you. He's, he, he, it's so manipulative. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dangle this out in front of you once again, just enough to make you say yes or whatever to go along with it. And you don't get to know what's going to happen until you do. But like that power dynamic is so messed up. And like it's scary. Like it's super scary to me when people – when you are faced with somebody who you are completely at the mercy of. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really scary to me. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it in, you know, in life, you see it in various iterations, right? Like, in some, some respects, you see it, like, physically. And I think, like, what women go through a lot yeah. of the time, right? Like, their experience in life is to know, fundamentally, that they're often at the mercy of this power dynamic. You, something about, though, how... It feels in this case, maybe it's the again the type of guy that that dude is, Lemore and Raymond. But it seems like he's it's not even him. Like he is acting as some sort of greater maybe situation power at play. Because like the way Sure. I see where I see why you feel that way. Because like, yeah, the way he um what was I just gonna say? Like the way uh he uh what were we just talking about? It's like a worldview. It's like his philosophy is speaking to the broader, yeah, like powers of the universe, yeah, which is really also scary. To I mean, in a way, that's that's what it is. It's this complex of superiority or godliness, or like right. I can do anything because I've cracked the code of of humanity or something well, like that right yeah here's here i remember what i was gonna say when he because he, we realized he could like when we have the question in our mind couldn't he just tell him oh i i put her you know i buried her alive right um ah oh, that's interesting could but, he yes but you but that is not the actual truth of what our our hero uh rex is after to actually know what happened you'd have to experience it, right? What happened to her? You can only know if you go through it. This is, yeah, this this is a person believing that they are tasked with with the God-like mechanics. Like, that it's their responsibility to, to... prove this point yeah which is a very like angry god kind of thing right like i i find it fascinating because like the it's it's like the opposite of hubris Mm. right like 
hubris is is somebody thinking they can be godly and getting taught a lesson for it. This is like this weird flip on that where he he's not the 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 kidnapper who believes that he he's got this sort of what do you call that when you're you're um you believe that you're a god. I was going to say, it actually does sound like hubris the way you're talking about it. It, it. does, but like hubris is the a, a, a literary tool to, to teach a lesson about why you shouldn't do that. Mm. This is saying this guy is so – he's so devoid of – uh, you know, of emotion or or like care about that, that he can get away with that too. He's, He's not going to be taught a lesson, right? I feel like he does show hub- hubris in his obsession and belief in a certain philosophy. The begin, yes, I mean, in the in the act of that, but in the conclusion of it, he he wins. I, uh, which is what I mean. There's this weird reversal of that. Um. I I uh, I just feel like I want to I kind of like go zoom out just for a bit more just kind of like context on these discussions here. What are some overarching things that worked again to sort of get into these these different weeds here? Sure. Um, I liked this. Uh, this is from an essay by Scott Foundis. This is how it ends. Just you know some some material that comes with the Criterion edition of this film. Mm. Uh, Like a dark mythic fable, it is deceptively simple in design, complex in its resonances, and timeless in its queasy appeal. It recalls one such fable in particular, Frank R. Stockton's The Lady or the Tiger, whose nameless hero must intuit which of the two doors in a gladiatorial arena leads to death and which to salvation. Only in Suzerre's film, there exists a diabolical third possibility that a single door may lead to both. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. I guess that that kind of continues where I was heading with this. The hubris of the characters is actually more on Rex. Mm-hmm. That his mistake as a human is not being able to let go. Mm-hmm. Right? That he he thinks that nothing else matters. And that obsessive thing is sort of a form of hubris, I think, in this context. And so you got these really perfectly opposing, you know, characters, mm-hmm. right? One who cares so much that he's willing to, well, suffer the 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 consequences, and one who doesn't care at all, except for his own, you know, satisfaction, mm-hmm. I guess. Which is dark <laughs> uh it's like I, my favorite kind of stuff right i i realized that quote i just read was less an overarching thing like i said i wanted to get into <laughs> and more an interesting specific idea so um more just actually zoom out um is this is just the idea like with i mean maybe this is why i thought of it too but like a dark mythic fable something where it's a super yeah. simple idea or it's those are the, those are I don't know always, but often the 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 way you can get at something that's just like so rich, just thematically, right. idea wise. We're like, I mean, I'm just thinking about. So God, what is this movie about? It's about obsession, but it's about like 
ideals of love and coupling in reference to that. Sociopathy, obviously, is something like talked about on the surface, the side we present and the true self, all about, you know, uh, how how the bad guy, uh, how Raymond kind of like seeing his two lives in such a way. Mm, yeah. Um, that, I don't know, I, I those kinds of feelings always swirl, swirl around in me where it's like, does that mean there is like a singular theme in controlling idea? And that, that was, I thought it was really interesting mm. when I was thinking that my friend, I was, uh, one of my friends I watched it with Matt, he, uh, said, uh, oh, well the theme is fate. And I, that, then that got my head spinning again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it does feel mi- mythical, right? Like there is sort of this Sisyphus, theme going on right the rolling the boulder up the hill and then it falls down the other side of the hill and you do it for eternity like that is the lesson that rex is sort of like going through is a very Mm. sisyphus style thing um but he does get the boulder up yeah but then it falls back down he's in a box he's screwed no he gets it but like i I read in that quote I guess he that's also true. gets his answer. He wins also. That's right. Um, yeah, but he loses and wins. Right. Yeah, exactly. I also feel like Raymond, he sort of possesses this almost, you know, Norse like Loki or trickstery sort of <laughs> vibe uh, that, that makes, I think makes sense in the Scandinavian construct, mm. right? He's got this weird like two-faced unfeeling, but like, you know, he's over. He, he, I feel like he would have like fawn legs. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it just he has, does look has that, that way. way. Like, the billy goat chin beard probably is some, maybe some design thing that they chose for that reason. I don't know, but like, it certainly gives us the vibe. Well, I get where intentional or right. not. I, I could get where Matt was coming from though, and he kind of put it this way. I thought it was really interesting. You know, you just kind of think what are what's being talked about? What are the sort of theme stated moments? So those big through lines, we have Raymond and his just sort of core belief philosophy, what caused why he decided to jump off like the two story balcony when he was young. Right. It all has to do with, you know, fate in that sense of he saw that it was inevitable in our reality that he not jump. So in his mind, that translated to, so of course I had to jump just to sort of show that. So, but then what Matt pointed out, I thought was interesting was, well, that even in his mind, that's like comes from a place of almost working around fate or breaking the rules. That is his fate because he is that way. But that and and but that is so arrogant, right? Mm-hmm. So it's again this idea that he thinks he operates outside of like the, the rules the, of fate. Yeah, right? the, yeah, exactly. Which is kind of bullshit yeah which i think is is that's what makes him scary right is he he has this certitude that he has unlocked the 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 code or whatever of the universe and like humanity and he's operating outside of it it's like fuck you dude we gotta take a drink on the show and we say certitude is scary (laughs) i know it was from like our third episode (laughs) or something when we started talking about Um, that but then it kind of yeah exploring the theme further it's cool it's in um that idea of fate is oh right take a drink um the idea uh fate uh in the golden egg story too 
where that's that kind of idea that she plugged into the future of their situation because it's i mean the floating alone in space thing the it's just them in the coffins in their you're right it's like you're that's so so true in this movie i i think initially i'm thinking of of moments of foreshadowing or or nods to to themes i'm thinking of it of it like when i'm watching initially dramaturgically Mm. but in reality i think what the movie is doing so specifically is showing what they're fated to live out yeah right so rex leaving her because he's being kind of an asshole has a has a cause and effect. She she disappears the first time, right? And again, it's this it's this recurring thematic Sisyphus style thing where it's like you're going to keep making the same mistake over and over and over again because that's who you are as a character or as a archetype, which is the thing that Raymond's philosophy tries to break anyway. Right. Yeah. But does it break? No, he thinks it is. He's continuing to be who that person exactly. is. Exactly. He's just being his archetype and he's he's self-fulfilling that. Right. And and like so Saskia having the dream, everything is set. So I agree. I think fate is really the the overall like right. thing that's going on. Which even that you word, can't change the outcome. Right. Nobody can change the outcome. Well, it's interesting because even that word, I mean, it just connotates how we experience in our reality but fate is a future set thing but what this film does and what i think maybe i mentioned audition earlier so fascinating is it's like no fate you can think of in terms of not something that's predestined in the future but something that's predestined in the term when you look at time as being non-linear like if you look at time as you know a flat circle whatever kind of thing (laughs) yeah you know that's what this film is doing temporally where you have those really, you know, just the very fact that there's flashbacks, maybe possible flash forwards or whatever. Right. But like, um, like you know, actually one of the scenes that was in question, uh, where I read it differently from my friends I watched it with, I was curious what you thought. There's when he sees in when he's with the new girlfriend, and it's like I read it as they were visiting the places that him and Saskia had already been, uh, had gone on their trip together. It, before her disappearance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he sees in that moment when he's with his current girlfriend, the car of him and Saskia going up and he chases uh, after it. Just I merging those memories. moment and that the way that's shot right? is so good. It's so simple to just have in the actual, you know, in-camera moment the car drive by in this but the effect yeah. it has you know immediately because of the context that we're in some other like realm of it happens uh, so his fast brain too. or whatever and i just the blurriness between realities that we're experiencing through him in that moment are so so effective so the and it it only blurred further from me when my read on that was it was as i just said yeah a memory of their their road trip before she disappeared matt said he was reading it as this is what could have been had she not been taken i wondered about that i was unsure 
which it was. Which could be literally lost in translation, missing something totally. in the uh, because subtitles. Because it seemed like right before that, they had had kind of an argument. And, and then she says, well, something to the effect of like, well, let's go this way and carry on to this place. As if she's just picking an arbitrary place and it turns out to be the place that Saskia and Rex were going to go or to. Or he just can't or help that but were there. It. Or exactly. They were or never there. He just pictures totally. them as if they had gone. I, I'm fine with all, like, I don't care right. what it is. The, the, the scene is so eerie and such a really good representation of, like, trauma and, like, PTSD and, like, just just the the guilt and like agony of what he's experiencing is so good. Like him writhing around inside his sort of dream memory, whatever you want to call it on the ground there on this lawn, overlooking this bucolic, amazing scene of like mountains and you're there's just this, whatever the, the place is a little chateau or whatever. <laughs> All of those things are just so well, constructed to give you this really like unpleasant feeling mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and I, I truly feel like the movie gets us for all the characters honestly into them like I feel so clearly what I think he's feeling and what what Saskia's feeling like the sequence of her going into and interacting with Rex or with uh, Raymond uh, and trying to speak this sort of broken French and the frustration around all of that. Like I also, I, maybe it's because we know what's going to happen. I mean, we do and we don't, we, we, we vaguely know how it's going to play out, but the, we're getting to see the details of it in that moment. And like, I'm, I so deeply felt I understood what she was going through mm. and same with, with Raymond, like, I mean, I watching him interact with his family and be this duplicitous sort of person, but like it's constantly leaking. Like his sociopathy is just leaking all over the place. And we know that, but they don't. Well, we wouldn't recognize it at all unless we did know the context. That's why just it's those scenes are so incredible. Like him with his family after we know what happens after the disappearance. It's just, I yeah. mean, everything about him putting on that, that, veneer of normalcy just I know. immediately gets under my skin. He's so good. He's so good at this weird, calm deflection. Mm. So like, it's so upsetting. <laughs> like, I, I think we've all probably met people like this on some level too mm -hmm. in our lives. But like, so there's a couple examples, obviously. I think we do it in less harmful ways too. Oh yeah, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. To it. He, he's, practicing the move of incapacitating a woman in his passenger seat and then picks his daughter up and continues to practice the move for himself. I, I And just, when she right. calls him out, he's like, 
you know, did you hear about that girl who who opened the car door and like flew out? And she's like, oh my God, did she die? And she's like, well, she, she flew out of the car going, you know, 40 kilometers an hour, whatever. Right. It, his, the calmness with which he's, he's so facile and able to just like, you know, deflect these things and come up with an excuse that makes sense is so disturbing. I, yes, I, I, I mean, I remember it differently. That kind of is, was muddling a couple different things in my memory, but that I just remember it being just that isolated moment where it's more like because he's been, because it's on to, on his mind so much, it's like he just can't help but just put his arm around her like the way he's been practicing. But there's something so, I just found that so chilling because I just found it like, deeply relatable that it was just one of those things that's like we have our own inner worlds or mm-hmm. like maybe we were trying to working work on like straightening our posture or something like sure, that sure right and it's something that like then when we're alone something makes us remember that and we do it and almost feels like crazy person because it's just our own little world sure our yeah, own reality yeah, yeah. but it's just given we have been plugged into his context that he's been rehearsing this endlessly. And it just, I don't know, it just made what should be just a simple moment, just so eerie and sinister, but it's thought it was fascinating because it was also because I could relate to just it on a human level. Ugh. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's in it. He like, we've all done little pranks or whatever, like little things to get at people, but like, the psychotic nature of him putting a bunch of spider, they were spiders, right? In the drawer. He asks his daughter to open the drawer to get the corkscrew and she opens it and there's spiders and she screams or whatever. I don't think and he put the spiders in. but I do. Okay. <laughs> I do. I definitely do. He immediately deflects her being like, what the hell? And being scared. And he's like, spiders are good for the environment or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, that is disturbing like psychosis to be like, constantly justifying everything that upsets other people. Yeah. That's unpleasant to be around. Uh, Just because that scene's in my mind now too. And just what I mentioned earlier about putting the obvious up forward, uh, but in clever, not forced feeling ways, the having all the family members scream again. And it's just the context we get where (laughs) there's something that's kind of like a funny fun bonding family moment we just know oh no one would hear screams but but that's my point though he is testing everything all the time he set that whole that whole interaction up so that he could go ask the neighbor of that place whether or not he heard screams so that when he kidnaps somebody (laughs) and maybe they scream he knows that he's good and that's Oh! But just the way when the fa- when we feel when we see the family screaming, it just makes you feel so gross because they're so clueless. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So like there's another scene where that, that like made my skin crawl, where the his wife asks if there's another woman or some is there somebody else, and he just goes no, mm. and it's like then he launches into this borderline gaslighting style monologue about like what he's doing and 
like what he's doing with his time and how important that is. And if he was going to have somebody else, why that would be stupid of him and how he only wants to be with her and why that's justified. It's like, it's so disturbing to watch somebody <laughs> do that thing yeah. when you know he's full of shit. Yeah. Like, oh, it's brutal. Yeah. So I, I, he's a really, really good villain. <laughs> oh, so good. It's the best. And when we can be with him so much, excuse me, and he still has an eerie quality. And I mean, maybe it's kind of bridge here to just like shout out examples that are just five star filmmaking, like where the ending when I mean, we've been sitting with him the whole movie, like for all, you know, we we he shouldn't feel creepy. It's it's just like what I said <laughs> that the movie is doing where because it's all on it's all on the surface in a way him just walking around being with him talking with his family we're able to get at like a new level of sinister and just yeah. disturbing that's great when then we still use just five star filmmaking to 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 highlight that make us to hammer it in where like at the end uh big finish when they're at the tree it is dark and it's rainy and the way uh, between the windshield wipers going, or if they're going at all, I forget. Yeah, I think they're going on the slow speed. Uh, he, the way his face looks underneath the rain on the windshield, yeah. just that little bit of just dark, <laughs> distorted quality. It's just oof. And then, God, I mean, one of my favorite moments is filmmaking-wise where it just, like, instilled me with a chill was we have the whole scene at the cafe that he's been asking him, uh, you know, meet up at me here or whatever if you're out there. And we see him out of focus the whole time. Yeah, I keep thinking it's going to rack to him. It just feels like it'd be natural to rack to him. And when it doesn't, it's just... Yeah. It's so good. That is such a fucking amazing choice directorially. Mm -hmm. To just be... I I love the idea, and maybe this is just because this is, you know, what we do and what we enjoy doing, but I just love imagining being on set and the, and like the DP is like, when do you want me to rack? And the, and the director's just sitting there going, don't do it, bro. No, let's just not. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's perfect. It's so exciting. Like what, I don't know why I like imagining that ideas like that happen in the moment. Yeah. And you hear anecdotes where that's true and sometimes it's, it's true, sometimes do, it's yeah. not. Um, it's, it, it may be in terms of writing too, just because I, I didn't want to forget we were talking about things being given context. I mean, maybe that's just all good storytelling is, is, you know, uh, observing something within a certain framework context. And maybe I'd be curious if it's different from sort of set up payoff maybe it's there's overlap the same thing but the uh book ending shots are opening ending of the grasshopper or not that's a not a grasshopper uh praying mantis where it starts off that's where right. it just feels like it's just a bit of scenic color to start the movie oh you know praying mantis sure. i know okay maybe some ideas of praying mantises and it's prey whatever whatever uh, you know, nothing, nothing, oh, man. nothing too deep or heavy. But, but you, then to come, you scratch up, the surface, and suddenly you're down the rabbit hole of like of metaphor, right? But but then, right? Uh, so, so but at the beginning, there, that's all yeah. we think it is. Yeah, point yeah, yeah. being, it even makes us think that there's nothing more to it because there's right, enough right. we could read into. Uh, 
so the fact that it comes in at the end with this perfect bookend of all of a sudden just given this entirely new setup payoff context of, oh, there's the body underneath there, bodies yep. underneath there. Like, it's so good. <laughs> and, but as as a symbol too, the praying mantis, I think, can represent a handful of different interesting things. Mm. One, just just the the visual of it and like it being called a praying mantis we could just ungender it and say oh that's just you know an evil weird creepy looking thing that go you know is gonna attack you right sure that that i can take at face value but then if you talk about like the praying mantis what is it female praying mantises will like eat the head of their mate or something like that if you apply that to this story, I can see a version of that metaphor working in that if Rex is the mate, the male mate, and Saskia is the praying mantis, his obsession with her is his demise, right? His coupling with her is his demise, and so it works to me on that level as well. Sure. I mean, right? I didn't feel I, the I, need to, dis, to, to, to dismember I, the praying mantis metaphor. I do, <laughs> right? Like the, the fact that that's where, like that you put it in the movie and that it's the opening and closing shot, like makes me go, huh, I wonder what I can, you know, extrapolate from that further. And that I think is fun and exciting. Well, and you could take it just at face value. It's just nature. Talking about... Um, visual motifs, themes, all that. We have them in the golden eggs and then our final image of the movie to the actual final image is them in their own circles, basically. Right, in right, their on own, the newspaper. Uh, floating eggs. Well, no, I mean, so yeah. Uh, yes, maybe, yeah, in the newspaper, in, but it's actually just two circles over black. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, so they dissolve from the image, the pictures on the newspaper, they dissolve the newspaper, right. so it's just them... In black, yes. But then, yes, you're right. Like the the cover art here, the motif on the design here, it is the idea that a bunch of little dots make up pictures in the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then also the motif on the um, in the uh, well, it's in the movie and used in the uh, it's uh the 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 lone flame of the lighter oh, in the coffin yeah. is like just the sole imagery on the the menu. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But just I don't know. It's just. It's so cool when you have all these things where you feel this sort of overlap and like that the meaning is all saying something about one another, their sameness, the the cough inside a coffin, inside a golden egg in the inside dream, a inside tunnel. a circle, inside and it just it just makes you view then I don't know all these other ideas within that context in a way it's just yeah spinning in the best of ways. Yeah, it's so interesting because there's also yeah, this the tunnel. Yeah, there's this other so, okay, so that, all those motifs, I feel like are inside their story. Mm -hmm. And then there's this other thing of how they are existing in the world and how the world is this outside thing looking in on them. Mm, uh, just like how he feels at the gas station. Exactly. It's in the gas station. It's in the town square at the cafe, mm -hmm. right? You're surrounded. It's this town square surrounded by onlookers right, right? No it's sympathy. a fish it's a fishbowl yeah um you know the those things even even the 
news report, like the the that the fact that this is being broadcast out to all these people's TVs, right, has that vibe to it. Um, there was one other thing I was going to say about Ra- or about Raymond Chu that I think is so disturbing in this context of the psychosis thing. Him saving the little girl who's potentially going to drown in the canal, him jumping off the bridge has nothing to do with him saving the girl, right? Has everything to do with him being titillated by the idea of, can I jump off this bridge? Mm -hmm. Like, again, it's just this like... Wasn't his thinking all the time something about... He needs to showing... No, it was after he does it when he was surprised at his daughter's reaction of, oh, she is now seeing him as the perfect person. He has to do something that's the opposite. (laughs) In the same context of why he had to jump off the balcony in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so twisted, but so accurate to, I think, what we often experience either ourselves, like in in questioning everything, Mm -hmm. or in how we see people who are really down that deep whatever path of how they view the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so the, yeah, these other motifs is, even that, I think, relates kind of back to this fishbowl thing that I'm talking about. Right, like when we see someone in a newspaper who's, you know, so-and-so is missing, that it, those dots, the fact that it's just dots in the context of the motif there is, yes, we cannot totally sympathize with them. We go, oh, isn't that sad? But I'm okay. Right. It's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> I don't know. I, where do we go from here? I mean, there's well, so many moments. Well, too. there was. I mean, just to just uh, something I was going to mention earlier uh, or ask you earlier, but kind of moved on about um, what was reality or not. What was your read on? Like, what was that scene where he's on the computer looking up her name all about? Because I just got it was like he was looking for her name for some kind of maybe just if she appeared in a database of other articles around the world. I, but then the way her name popped up a bunch, I thought that that was another kind of reality bending moment, but wasn't sure. I was confused a little bit by that too. I, I It worked though. I, I'm I mean, fine just the with, feel of her name popping up. It was yeah, still cool. It felt kind of, you know, uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah, like it made yeah. me feel in that realm. So I just accepted that it was, I didn't think that it was reality. Okay. I I think it starts as reality for him and then we see it cascade into this sort of just a you know just a depiction of of his obsession. Yeah. In a you know or a dream sort of mode or whatever. Um I also was confused there was a really confusing thing uh for me is how how did he know to go to the t- to the square in the cafe? Rex, I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like he was told to go there by Raymond somehow. That's that's why I was confused I'm by because I'm super I, confused. I'm pretty by sure this. in the summary it was. Um, hopefully, this is all under what worked too. It uh, works because it's confounding. Like it, I feel like I'm under a spell. I'm, I'm pretty sure. And, and, yeah. and Raymond's spell, like I'm at the mercy of, of this. I'm pretty sure he's been sending, like I understand how I follow it is that he's been telling Raymond if he's out there, which he knows he is to meet him at that cafe. Gotcha. So, but I was confused then as 
was it then just total kismet slash coincidence that he actually Raymond has an apartment there? Right, that's, that's, that's where it got that, confusing. Yeah. So my my assumption is that we missed something <laughs> that suggested that Raymond had left a breadcrumb. Okay, um, but I don't know. Uh, I mean, this is all obvious too, but just last things on my mind. What worked? I mean, talking about meeting audience expectations where we're at and then subverting them. And it was fun watching with my, my friends too, where you think the goal of the intro is to sympathize with this couple. So we care about their situation. Right. And then we have this first, uh, it's the fake out disappearance where, Oh, we know it's the vanishing. It's right, about right. woman goes missing. So it was this fun beat with them. They totally were expecting that is when the van, the titular vanishing yeah. happens, but it is not. And, uh, just all that's so good as far as then involving the audience the way that lets us then be with the characters. And then so when it does happen, it's just all that much more just sort of a rug being pulled out from under us. Yeah. It's not the middle of the night in a tunnel. It's daytime surrounded by people. All the more terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And the, 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 oh. the, the, uh, the failed attempt at the rest stop too. Oh yeah, seeing all his tries is just yeah. All his tries actually, I think my one of my favorite moments in the whole movie, which you could you could keep or lose really, it doesn't affect the story much. But I just love the moment that he's practicing trying to get like ask women where the whatever it is drugstore or something like that is, and he asks a woman two towns over or whatever from where he lives and she knows him mm -hmm. and I, moments like that where and she calls him out really hard she's like in a very uh french way my friends thought yeah yeah, yeah. she's <laughs> like she's like hey by the way if you want to go pick up women you know like maybe go to a town where you you won't run into somebody you know <laughs> I just, it's, I love <laughs> moments like that so, so much. And I'm not even really sure why. It just, it's like weirdly, the, the watching somebody get caught for some reason in their shittiness is so satisfying. It's yeah. like cathartic to me. And then like having her stick it to him. Well, it's, it has this. I love it. I don't know. It's, it's this weird effect to this paradoxical thing going on where it's like, Yes, yeah, so like, you're I, like, I, oh I, no, he's gonna get caught. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where it's like because we're with him so much, it's like as terrifying and disturbing as it is, it's like it it brings out my own sociopathy. It feels like because I just get caught up with what he's practicing. Like, well, it's, yeah. it's its own montage sequence of wanting to see him be able to yeah. successfully run up the steps at the end. Well, like it, to when he finally yeah, yeah. is getting the momentum to successfully kidnap her. I'm going yeah. like, oh right, whoa, 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 this is also wait, what <laughs> like. Well, but that's it's because crazy. we are feeding off of the the drama of it, the conflict of it. Like, I, I think, like, yeah, it's the hurdles. We're we're watching somebody go through the trials and tribulations, regardless of their horrible intention. It's adversity it's, overcome. Exactly. We're getting to, <laughs> we're getting this push pull and this up and down of like, oh no, is he? No, it's reversals, right? Like, oh, oh no, he's gonna get this lady. Oh no, she knows him. Oh no, like she like that's so much fun just mm -hmm. from storytelling standpoint like you don't have to feel bad you're not it's not like you're rooting for him but you kind of are yeah. right like because you know the story needs to go somewhere uh 
There's definitely more, but I'm satisfied. There's so many. This is a five-star movie. I think it's a classic for a reason, like kind of that quote I read at the beginning where uh, it's an old fable tale quality movies that yeah. do that. They just are just the classics. Like this is the kidnapping movie yeah. as far as I'm concerned, you know? Yeah. Oh, man, I wish I could think of something else that has this kind of like marquee moment of of like the the twist i don't know why nothing nothing well i want to totally comes to mind but the one moment the fact the absurdity of him scraping to find anything that might lead him to the kidnapper Mm -hmm. and coming up with this crazy idea that if the guy was standing at a vending machine he had to have put a coin in it and if we can just find that coin we can get his fingerprint like that's completely insane to to think that that's a method of tracking this guy down so and he repeats that a a handful of times throughout the movie as like a goal to have that come around and have him think oh i've got him by finding the coins that Rex knows Raymond touched because Raymond told him the story of giving that change to Saskia. And having Rex dance around like, I got him. Mm-hmm, yeah, I'll drink mm-hmm. your coffee. Gotcha, motherfucker. I didn't, I right. absolutely, because the logic doesn't still continue. It's It's Rex- just feeling like he has been vindicated. I So I didn't necessarily read the moment like that, that it was something about the coins and a matter of proof one way or the other that then gave him the feeling to drink it. My read on, and this is actually what I want, maybe it's a different read, but as far as how I read it, it was an incredible moment for me where you're going, okay, well, what could actually... I saw it as the emotion that that stirred up of feeling like that that connection to the day itself again and the memory of him burying those coins with her. Like I was like in that moment, well, what could possibly get him to then just be so just a, a, actually feeling like he'd risk death? Pretty much, you know, 99% honestly, right? Uh, he's probably going to die um, if he drinks the coffee. But I could get it in that moment that it would just hit you so hard. It's like, it'd be like seeing like photos didn't exist and you saw a picture of her or something like that. Just, or you just went to that same spot. That's what it is. Just that memory of being with her, being happy, then loving her that much is just so strong. I mean, he literally was like running in circles, but I, I I don't disagree. I think Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's all of those things. Mm -hmm. I think that all those things are wrapped up in it. It's him being vindicated that his idea was right. Mm. him being vindicated that he got the answer him being cathartic that he's like oh she exists this happened these things are here like i'm not crazy Mm. him feeling close to her in that moment yeah him being like this was this thing this is the last thing we did together physical evidence physical evidence of that relationship is right there maybe i'm not crazy it's all those things wrapped up in one so after three years of insanity and like obsession and like being wrapped around the uh, you know the telephone pole about all of this 
to see this thing that has all of it in it at once and for it to foreshadow him being buried as well, that it's these things that she and him buried together and now they're going to end up buried together, but not really, but whatever. Floating Floating next to each other. Like all of that, the fact that it's coins, that those are round too, like all of these things are just like in this perfect way locking together in that moment. Thinking in terms of like, yes, things locking together. Her, her, what's so terrifying about her nightmare floating in space alone is the loneliness of thinking in terms of forever. And that's exactly what he has been experiencing being the only one in his plight. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I mean, this is really good writing. Oh, man. I'll I be, love it. I'll be curious if you have anything for this next section, the way you're talking about it. It seems like it'd be a buy for you, but... Eh. <laughs> let's find out. Okay. <laughs> then let's do it. And our next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. anything that actually did not work tim you know at first i really felt like rex didn't work at first (laughs) and then i don't know what it is i maybe it was just my my initial feeling that like he was such a jerk when i when we first meet him the first time i see him I remember, I just sort of had this thought, well, that's not a leading man. But then, you you know, like, as <gasps> we as we talked about it, obviously, that's... Like, says who? <laughs> right, right. But I just, there was something about, like, my very initial feeling about him that... I was like not charismatic. I don't and I and that ended up not being true at all. So I don't know what was going on initially. Um there really isn't I mean god we we didn't even really talk a ton about the time jumping which I love. So like I I can't think of anything overt that I didn't like. I was surprised when we watched the the trailer that we watched, uh, the music sounded corny. I don't remember taking note of the music at all. I felt like it worked. That's probably perfectly great. well. So that was that was what I, I may be more speaking to. Not something that didn't work, but something that I'm glad worked that could have been at risk of not working. Sure, was the music. Where yeah. I kind of mentioned that almost that before. Maybe it was with like how legitimately scary the stepfather could have been without that certain score or like, (laughs) I haven't seen it in ages, but I remember Henry portrait of the serial killer having like a certain real realistic starkness that like the music kind of took away from. But Hmm. I think now I'm just like all on board with it where I kind of say this too, coming off of um, one of my friends I was with, she was like, is the music supposed to be funny? And we were kind of like, I think it's just, you know, it's just dated. It's just yeah. 80s. But then I realized when saying that, I'm like, okay, but I, I'm not in that place right now. Like, why is it working for me? And I think it might have something to do with 
we've reached a loop around yeah. in just synth 80s sounding I style being totally agree. just being absolutely in like because yep. i've heard enough like new cool good throwback music right. i'm like plugged into the effect that it has and how it does work and how it can feel yeah. as good in its own way so like, i remember thinking when we yeah. saw audition i d- i felt the same way i didn't like the music because of this Similarly, I don't Sim- remember thing. any music in that. <laughs> but then, uh, like, this probably is very similar. I don't know. So, like, I don't, you know, I, I guess, like I said at the top, why why it's a rent, it, it, it didn't have sort of an excitement level that maybe was just an expectation. I, I don't know. Well, this is what I was curious about. I wanted to mention, actually, one more thing and what worked as far as just, like, key moments I wanted to mention i just think the ending of him waking up trapped in the coffin is just like one of the great end moments where i say that based off of the first time i saw it of just like the heart sinking almost feels like a twist but at the same time just like inevitable fate has sealed uh it's sealed like a coffin (laughs) um so just i felt like it's a famous ending just had to to mention it but it's interesting because i had you know, there's only that that you can only uh, see it a first time once, so it's, it doesn't have that effect anymore. Um, it was interesting how, in my memory of it, that was literally how the movie ended. When actually we have the little mm. bit of the mm-hmm. imagery and things. Anyway, uh, you had had a, maybe a muddled memory of it all. So did it have that same impact for you, where it was totally a shock and surprise, like? as maybe slash can you remember even that about it seeing it originally because it is kind of famous for that ending i think i just knew it mm. regardless of having seen it it's like we've watched enough of these like great mo- movie horror mo- moments or whatever i've seen i don't know a dozen of those weird fun listicle documentary style things where they're like Remember this scary moment in this movie? That's why I don't watch those unless I've seen the things in them. And yeah. then I love them. But I had seen it, so... Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know. But, yeah, I was not... I mean, I was tickled, but I I think I... I think I knew it was coming. Okay. Interesting. I, on some level, I knew it was coming. Like, it was, it was not an, oh, my God, it was like, oh, of, that's right. This is uh, such a ridiculous thing. I don't know. I don't don't even want to mention it because it's so stupid. But I just had to ask Please where I could do. get it. Maybe. I don't know if it's a, what did not work. But I just had the thought when he's trapped in the coffin with a lighter. <laughs> wouldn't you slash can you, you know, try to to burn your way out? I thought about this too. <laughs> I had that thought. I was like, because of course you're in you're in the mindset of like, oh my god, how like you're screwed. How do you get out? And I and I thought all of these little like scenarios. So no, you asphyxiate very quickly because your oxygen in there is is very limited. So you would turn that oxygen into carbon dioxide immediately, and you just inhale the smoke and die. Okay. Because there's gonna be smoke from burning the wood, but you could can, can you like hold your breath for three minutes? Can you for three minutes? I think. One, do you know how long it would take to burn that box? That's also, what I don't know. No, you, I it don't. would take a long time Not to burn the whole box, just to get a little tiny hole that you could. Sure. Let's let's. 
I don't want to find out. <laughs> let's play this out, though. I don't disagree. Sure, let's say you did the 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 minimum effective dose of burning uh-huh. that didn't asphyxiate you. You're still losing the oxygen in there, right? It's I understand. Fil- so right for how so long? So super limited. That- so let's say you get a little, just a little. You could poke your finger through and you can break the board. Let's say that you're still screwed because the 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 dirt that you would have to displace let's assume that he's buried the standard you know more than five six feet let's say he's around six feet so that coffin (laughs) this is so stupid if that coffin is six feet deep cube it's like three cubic feet or whatever that is um that would be nine feet whatever two cubic feet you would have to pull dirt down, put it at your feet, right? Enough to get your body, like pull your body up. I just don't think it, I just don't think it's possible. We should try it though. Well, get, let's get the Mythbusters on it. Yeah. 1988's The Vanishing. I bet you Would somebody- be possible? Yeah. <laughs> Jamie. I bet you they've done an episode like, can you survive getting buried alive? I just don't think it's possible because I think the dirt would just suffocate you. Yeah. Great. That's my guess. Well, fair enough. Uh, should we move on? Things of note. Sure. All right. Things of note. This should be interesting. Did you have anything that was interesting or noteworthy, Ryan? A question for you, since Ooh, okay. uh, we've talked about it before with um, uh, Angst. Mm. Any film where I just am so fascinated with and love it when it has this utter realism, oftentimes with the performances especially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's also the quality of how it looks visually just feels real. Yet there's also like clear filmmaking going on in shots, framing, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think the 166 to 1 aspect ratio and generally square aspect ratios help uh, give a sense of realism versus, let's say, a 2, 3, 5, or 9? realism think like you know the witch the shining henry portrait of serial killer i don't know i don't know i is i get that i get that we believe it does is <laughs> like a, a cin- we the yes. the greater we is it more quote cinematic i don't know or, what quote, that means epic yeah the wider ratio I just think it's different, but I do agree there, there, sure, there is an effect that it has, like it, on some level, it's making us feel something different, but do I think that that difference is realism? I just don't know. I don't know what you pulled the idea of realism from in the same way that I don't know what you pull the idea of cinematic from. Other than like repetition, that we've created this widescreen format 
and said that it's cinematic, and so that became cinematic. Right. So is it programming or something outside of programming that's deeper? I think it could I be bet you. Both. I bet you the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know why, and I wait, don't... Wait, wait, fo- yes, meaning it said in that sort of smart way because I asked two things? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I think it's probably both. I think there's probably <laughs> a psychological effect that it has on us that is not programming, but I think programming does also play a role. And I don't know how... I don't think that I see that stuff and am conscious of the effect if there is one. Mm. I noticed just by virtue of seeing where the black was on my screen and thought nothing of it. I just went, oh, it's that. But thinking about it, do you feel it engaged you in the sense of this is more realistic? You're just sitting here in this reality with these people. No, I'm not. I, I, I don't think I... Uh, I don't think that that thing has an effect on me for some reason. Because even when people are like, oh, see it in IMAX, it's so much, whatever. I still just am watching the movie. Well, IMAX is about bigger. Sure. Dude, the birthing opening of Bo is Afraid in super loud (laughs) IMAX. This is the best. Um, Fair. Well, we've mentioned Kubrick twice in this episode already so i feel like i gotta mention him again here because hubrick hubrick yes kubrick was a huge fan of this film okay he the george the george filmmaker told his buddy stanley or stanley told george that he watched this 10 times he discussed it with him regularly like you know on the phone whenever he saw each other kubrick said it was the most terrifying film he'd ever seen and George would reply like, yeah, but dude, you made The Shining. And uh, Cooper's like, this is this is child, Shining's child's play. Like, this is actually the most terrifying thing ever. Yeah. And you think of Kubrick has always had, especially with Eyes Wide Shut, definitely the idea of marriage, significant others is just something mm-hmm. very much mm-hmm. uh, near and dear to him. Or, That's you know, he's a romantic at heart in a way. Yeah. Um, Do you want to hear something and, interesting or noteworthy? Yes, but re- <laughs> last thing on the Kubrick was, you know, just to show much of a fan of what he was, he had cast um, the uh, Saskia in his uh, film that was never made, The Aryan Papers, which he was working mm. on for the early 90s. So she was going to be the lead of that. So there's like interviews with her about oh, that, sure. you know, different sort of stuff from the casting process with her. Well, other than that one, I've still... Never seen Barry Lyndon. Was that what you were just going to say? Yeah, that's my Kubrick anecdote. Uh, I don't or factoid. It's great, and I know. I I it's. I've seen all of his other films, at least twice each, probably a little bit more than that. And I think it's become this weird like albatross where I'm like I now I almost don't want to see it. It's it like no never se- reading the last chapter of Harry Potter or something. Sure, <laughs> yeah, the perfect example because I was so into Harry Potter. <laughs> no, I, no I, I don't know why. I, I we live in LA. A, a repertory screening will happen every three I, years. I'm sure. I maybe that's what it'll take. I gotta. 
I have to see it on in a theater. I saw it at the Egyptian Man. Yeah. So good. That's it's, what it'll take. I'll do it if it's in a theater. It's great. It's great. I don't want to watch it on a TV. I just don't. It's so good. Especially so considering good. how much I've heard about how it was visually composed. Uh, anything of note you had for this one? Other than I remember the, the remake being like, okay. <laughs> Although I think Kiefer Sutherland is like improperly cast, so it's hard to, I don't get into. Uh, that's one I'm okay being an albatross for me. Uh, I don't. It's not. I mean, make. it's fine. It's just. I mean, why would you watch that if this exists? I'm sure it would be a really interesting study, especially for where we are now, as well as at the time, just in sort of an exercise in what do they, what does one. What does the money funding entity think people want that will guarantee more money? You know, uh, <laughs> actors they recognize. That's it. That's it. Let's make That's a- it. I would think, I think actually a really fun exercise, maybe I'll start making a list of these not, you know, these foreign movies that get remade like within a couple years of the original, like... Matt, is there if it's by the same filmmaker or not? Because, yeah, same filmmaker for these two. Same filmmaker for, you know, Michael Haneke for Funny Games, making both versions. Yeah, let, yeah, doing that version, I think, would be fun and first. I can't think of more examples than that, but I'm sure they're out there. Definitely there's, a thing. there's definitely a bunch. I mean, Let the Right One In was not the same director. Wasn't it? Um, or was it? Obviously... Uh, yeah, maybe that was. was. I don't know. Same with um, not Ringu. Gore Verbinski did the remake, but um, maybe Juwan the Grudge. I think was the same filmmaker as the original too. That seems possible. Uh, I mean, I don't think the same director did Goodnight Mommy, but that has an American remake too. So, what about what would you want to note, or uh, what's your exercise honestly, you want to do? It's not even an exercise. I, I all I would want to do is look up. If ever the American remake was successful, mm. like I don't know what the metric to s- classify success is. Did it make its money back? I, mean, I guess Jew on the Grudge definitely was because That's that true. had a sequel. I think Funny Games did all right, but did it do better? I think there must be some way to say, okay, here's how this did there. Can you create the same metric for here? Uh, or box maybe, office, or maybe within that too. And may, I, I haven't seen the Funny Games remake. I've but, seen both. Uh, then maybe you could speak tor- towards it better. But in some cases, it's kind of an apples and oranges thing. I don't know. It is, but it isn't. Like mm-hmm. it's shot for shot. So I don't know. I just think it's it's a weird, fascinating thing that exists in film. Yeah, this like weird basically one-to-one remake style thing good good night mommy was not a one-to-one and they they cut out some of the greatest stuff from the story yeah. to water it down for an american this is in air quotes an american audience or uh, i hated that they did the one with uh like wreck is like it's one the best found footage movies yeah and then yeah that was it just into- doesn't live up to the original yeah so i just feel like that no the answer is no american remakes don't work well it's also kind of muddled it when you jumped to those when it's 
is not the original fail- filmmaker. Totally, totally. So I don't know. So yeah, different. I think as a parameter, doing the original filmmaker would be interesting because there can't be that many, right? I don't know, man. Yeah. Uh, our buddy George, in an in interview with him, is interesting. Something we talk about a lot, but to hear it from the horse's mouth, he says, you know, he only believes in gray, not just black and white as far as we have everything in us. Sure. We have gray inside ourselves. And uh, this was the Dutch submission for the Academy Awards that year for Best Foreign Language Film Mm. in 1988, but it was disqualified because the Academy determined there was too much French dialogue for it to represent the Netherlands. Oh, God. Don't get me started. Great. (laughs) (laughs) The wise Academy uh, leaders. Oh, man. All right. Anything else for this movie? No. Great. Shall we vanish from the vanishing? (laughs) Yes, please. All right. Let's wind down. Some recommend dead shins. Speaking of... uh, Kiefer Sutherland in early 90s thrillers. Not mirrors. Not mirrors. I was uh, early aughts, right? Mid-aughts. I got a recommended the sequel to one of those films. So Freeway is the film I was referring to about him uh, going after Reese Witherspoon in a kind of like uh, Little Red Riding Hood, like, uh, you know, structure, story structure. Yeah. So it's I great. vaguely remember So maybe this I movie. want to make my recommendation that and the one I really want to recommend dead because I don't, because I feel like a, that's kind of has a cult status. A lot of people okay. have seen it. Highly recommend dead. The sequel, Freeway 2, Confessions <laughs> of a Trick Baby. What? And now it's the same director. What does that mean? It's the same director, Matthew Bright. Um, Com- sorry, Confessions of a Trick Baby? Yes. Stars, um, yes, uh, Natasha Leon. It's great. <laughs> cool. Um, just I was too just because they the, I I liked these two letterbox descriptions of it better than I could ever say. So just to help All sell right. you on it, let me take a sip of coffee from the letterboxed user Woo W U. Freeway Two takes the fundamental premise of the original: a woman unjustly imprisoned, violently revolting, and utterly unmoors it from reality. I don't often write much anymore, but in this case, this is a film that left me truly speechless. It's true blue exploitation cinema that insults all notions of good taste, and because of that, its beautiful queer love story only gains potency. And then from Electric Wizard X. John Waters meets unapologetically <laughs> offensive 70s exploitation sleaze meets buddy criminal film with a lesbian Starkweather and Fugate murderously evading the coppers on the way to Tijuana in a vague, darker retelling of Hansel and Gretel, Gretel made in the very <laughs> late 90s. Wow. So it's, uh, yes, similar in kind of themes and ideas and characters and tone to the original. And it's really interesting. While the first one is Little Red Riding Hood, this one's yeah. Hansel and Gretel retelling. It's it's great. I recommend both. Yes, I'll go ahead and just recommend both of them. Freeway yeah. and Freeway yeah. 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. <laughs> what a title. Um, I think you recommended what I'm going to recommend previously, which was Knock at the Cabin. I had talked about seeing it, but I don't think I recommend. You, you didn't? just asked okay. me how I liked it. I oh, didn't okay, recommend yeah, it. yeah. Did you like it? 
Yes, it's not. It's out of what I call the Shyamalanaissance, meaning all his films post whatever sure, sure. those sci-fi movies was he did. Yeah, basically the Visit onward, I think, are great. I I love his movies. Right. This was the bottom of the pile for me. So you liked old more than this. Old's his modern mm. masterpiece for me. Interesting. I liked this more than old. I didn't love old for certain weird reasons, but um, I man, I really liked this. I think. Dave Batista, for one thing, is like this very curious, like I don't know what to call him. He he's he's something's going on. Is it? I don't know what, but I love him. Uh, I'm always curious to ask because I just get excited when people also enjoy the new Shyamalan movies. I think a big part of that is finding a way to. I don't know, you almost have to reconcile or just maybe it's not even conscious, but you're just getting on board with uh, some people would maybe, a, a polite way to put it that some people may not, uh, I love it, but is the unique uh, way he writes characters and dialogue. Okay, so. so it, and maybe you could use case, that for Dave Batista, how that he kind of clicked or into that for you. I'd be curious. But how do you I think how did it work for you in I that sense? I think this one's working more because it's less Shamalami. Because he <laughs> didn't I mean, he wrote it, but he's basing it off of a book. Mm-hmm. And I think having that like foundational thing is good for him. I think it helped. In this case. Old I mean, was based on source material, too. Yeah, and I can see how... I can see that in it. But it's still like the dialogue and just the way the characters exist in the world. For me, I I can get on board with it. It feels like it's sort of a throwback to, like, B-movies in a way. And as well hmm. as just the performances are still really good underneath that. That they just sort of make it. I don't know. It yeah. feels like it's a it's a movie, and I'm not watching it like how I would uh, yeah, yeah, w- yeah. the vanishing or something. I don't know. I don't know I, if I can. I don't want to get deep into trying to figure out why or what it was, but I think thematically more than anything, mm. and and just the compellingness of Dave Batista, as well as just every other actor in it, I think was doing an uh, incredibly good job. Um, and I like all those actors. So, you know, maybe that's all it took is like even the little girl who I've never seen obviously before, but like, I was like, she's really great. Um, but like the, the themes were hitting home. I was like, oh God, this is society, man. It's society. It's a metaphor for society. And I just like got hyped about it. Cool. It is a good story. Yeah. No, I liked it. And the question, I love the impossible question. Or the impossible choice, yes. rather. I love an, an, an impossible choice. It's always exciting. How are they going to figure it out? They don't. That's good stuff. Cool. Glad you saw it. Glad you liked it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think we could wrap up. Thanks, everyone, for yeah, being thanks. here with us. Love having you. Back in two weeks, as always. Uh, in closing, is it fate or what we make or perhaps door number three? All of the above. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>